This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. In the new movie Five Nights at Freddy's, a security guard has to keep an eye on a family-friendly theme restaurant that's gone out of business and just happens to be haunted by murderous animatronic mascots. The film is based on the hugely successful video game series of the same name, and now it's a box office sensation. I'm Stephen Thompson. Today we are talking about Five Nights at Freddy's on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, A People's History, from Onyx Collective and Hulu. Directed by Prentice Penny, executive producer of Insecure, Black Twitter, A People's History, tells the story of how black voices found a new home online and blossomed into a force for change while laying down some hilarious tweets along the way. From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. This message comes from Capital One, presenting sponsor of the 2024 Tiny Desk Contest. Earlier this year, unsigned musicians from around the country submitted their original songs for the 10th annual Tiny Desk Contest. The panel of judges are hard at work picking standout entries, and you can follow along and choose your favorite videos as well. The winner gets to play their very own Tiny Desk concert, then headline a tour with NPR Music this summer. Want to come along for the ride? Visit tinydeskcontest.npr.org to learn more, then check out the Venture X card from presenting sponsor Capital One. Earn unlimited 2x miles on everything you buy and turn everyday purchases into extraordinary trips. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. This message comes from NPR's sponsor, Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life. Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit teledochealth.com slash what's your why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C health slash what's your why. Support for NPR and the following message come from the Lemelson Foundation, dedicated to improving lives through invention, innovation, and climate action. Joining me today is Switched On Pop producer Rihanna Cruz. Hey there, Rihanna. Happy to be here, Stephen. Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure to have you. So Five Nights at Freddy's is set at a theme restaurant called Freddy Fazbear's Pizzeria. Think Chuck E. Cheese or Showbiz Pizza, where you've got kid-friendly games and a band made up of animatronic performers. But Freddy Fazbear's has seen better days, and it's been closed for years. Josh Hutcherson plays Mike, a down-on-his-luck security guard who winds up getting hired to keep an eye on the place over night. Mike has had trouble holding down jobs in part because he's haunted by a childhood trauma in which his little brother was abducted, never to be seen again. Every night he dreams about his brother's disappearance and seemingly comes closer and closer to solving the mystery, especially once he starts sleeping on the job. But Mike's life is even more complicated than that. His parents are gone, so he's the guardian of his 10-year-old sister Abby, played by Piper Rubio. He's also fighting a custody battle with his mean Aunt Jane. She's played by Mary Stuart Matthews. 
Masterson, plus Freddy Fazbear's Pizzeria keeps getting late-night visits from a local policewoman named Vanessa, played by Elizabeth Lale. Also, there's the whole thing about the creepy animatronics and their unslakeable thirst for blood. <laughs> Five Nights at Freddy's is based on a popular video game series developed by Scott Cawthon, who co-wrote the screenplay, and it's directed by Emma Tommy. It's in theaters and streaming on Peacock now. Rihanna, what did you think of Five Nights at Freddy's? I did not like it, Stephen. Okay. Coming right off the bat to say that. I, I will say that I haven't played the games, but I've absorbed a lot of the lore and the cultural significance of Five Nights at Freddy's through social media. Like I got a lot of TikToks about Five Nights at Freddy's, so I know <laughs> a lot despite not playing the games. And I didn't like the movie. I thought the acting wasn't great. I thought the premise came off very convoluted. And mm -hmm. it felt like you needed to have an established relationship with the franchise to glean anything from the movie. Mm -hmm. It didn't land for me, Stephen. How was it for you? Um, I, you know, I had a little bit more of a positive reaction to it. Mm, and I, okay. my experience with it is entirely through hearing about it from my kids. My kids are 22 <laughs> and 19. They're mm -hmm. certainly target ages. The game started rolling out in 2014. And I had certainly been hearing about Five Nights at Freddy's just kind of on the wind yeah. for, for the last decade or so, but it's not a game that I had played. I do have extensive experience going to Chuck E. Cheese <laughs> and loving so your Chuck E. Cheese's, your showbiz pizzas, your anything with wacky animatronics. I am all there. I have often said that when I die, I want my grave marker to be an animatronic symbol slapping monkey. <laughs> um, so, so I love this kind of restaurant. I, watching this movie, wanted to move into Freddy Fazbear's Pizzeria and live there even though it contains murderous animatronic wow. <laughs> uh, characters. So I think to me it was a pretty satisfying PG-13 horror movie with a target audience of kind of kids in mm -hmm. ways that a lot of horror franchises don't necessarily get to. I think when you look at why this movie made so much money, even though it dropped on Peacock at the same time, I think you can't discount a, the, the, I think there's a stronger association for people with these games than maybe the marketers or studio expected. Totally. But also like, there's a hunger, I think, for horror movies that are a little bit more kid-friendly and that have a little bit of playfulness and verve in the way their big bads are presented. I do wish this movie had been a little bit funnier. Mm. Um, Interesting. Given how silly these characters are, I wish the script had kind of played around with it a little bit more. It's kind of constructed around this pretty dour premise about this security guard and his little brother who has been abducted. And there's yeah. a lot thematically built around child abduction and child murder yeah. in a movie that is otherwise like pretty lighthearted fare for, I guess you'd say, teenagers. On balance, I kind of got a kick out of it. I think that Haunted Chuck E. Cheese is a pretty solid foundation for a horror franchise, if you are me. Totally. <laughs> Have you ever seen Willy's Wonderland? Because that's the movie that I wanted to compare Five Nights at Freddy's to so much. And Willy's Wonderland is like animatronics, Nick Cage kind of doing the Five Nights at Freddy's ah. thing. But that's really good. And, and it's funny that you mentioned you wanted it to be funnier because I like Willy's Wonderland because it leans into the silliness of the whole premise. And I think that's what Five Nights at Freddy's was missing. I, I thought it was kind of heavy on like the modern horror generational trauma kind of themes mm -hmm. 
that really like aren't present in the game as far as I know and and the movie kind of like doubles and triples down on it Mm -hmm. in a way that I think detracted from the central concept because most of the movie you're waiting for kind of like the plot of the games to begin where Joss Hutcherson you know beats up the animatronics and you're waiting kind of the whole movie for that to happen and it happens, but in the last 15 minutes of the movie, because of the rest of the movie, is him trying to reconstruct this childhood trauma dream that he's having. That's good, but I, I feel like that's like an entirely different movie than what I was expecting. The director has said she wants to do this as a trilogy. Mm. It is definitely left open-ended to form a trilogy. Yeah. Are you interested in kind of where where they're going with this? Maybe having somewhat resolved at least some of the mystery. Yeah. Are you interested in more haunted animatronic movies? Oh, absolutely. Now that they've established the world building. Absolutely. And I I think the games are so rich with lore that you can make 10 movies. (laughs) You might get your wish. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, literally, literally. But you could do so many movies because there's so much in the games to expound upon. And I don't know, despite me not liking Five Nights at Freddy's, like the movie, I am interested to see if they take it in different directions or where they continue to pursue the games because they get really wacky, you know? So I want like a more wacky Five Nights at Freddy's movie. For those who aren't familiar with the games, how do they get more wacky? There's lots of extended lore that like kind of contradicts itself. Like Mm -hmm. I know in my research, I read about the bite of 83, which is like the first Freddy Fazbear victim, but there's also the bite of 87 and they could exist concurrently, but it's one or the other. Mm -hmm. Vanessa, who in the movie is a character, has more of a antagonistic relationship with the game in the later games. So there's like a lot, I think, to like Mm. play around. You know, and and that's why I want to see more of them because I'm like, I would love to see what they do with the material that they're given because Mm -hmm. I felt like this movie, the OG (laughs) Five Nights at Freddy's movie, I thought it shied away from the material in a way that I, I kind of was disappointed by. In the last 20 minutes, it's like the lore finally comes into play, but it doesn't click. Sure. You know, you're kind of like, oh, okay, this is what's happening, but... I don't know. Nothing was like revealed to me that was like new or exciting. It's incredibly predictable, you know, so I I, want to see where they take it, if they could take it in more interesting directions. Yeah, I think you make a decent point there where like I enjoyed the world building, but it is one of those movies where the central mystery boils down to what's going on. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then eventually you kind of get this like Scooby-Doo style reveal. Right. And then it's kind of resolved itself. I agree that like it's most effective as setting the stage for more movies, Mm. especially if they're able to kind of pivot off of. Like I said, a little bit of that more dour plot involving missing children and get into like a roving band of killer animatronics, which is just a great idea for a horror series. Right. Something has definitely been revealed with Mm. the success of this film. And frankly, with the success of Megan earlier this year. So true. A, there's something about animatronics and kind of as we grapple with AI that, that having a horror movie baddie be kind of infused with this like uncanny valley you know there there's a there's a talking doll and it's supposed to be human and it 
goes haywire and it kills people. Mm -hmm. That is something that speaks to our moment while still having a a sense of playfulness about the presentation. You know, as somebody who winds up seeing a lot of horror movies, I don't prefer the ones that are just like grim, 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 grim. And obviously, like, horror is heavy. Like, people are dying. But, like... It is interesting that the success of this movie and the success of Megan is really showing how much interest there is in movies that have horror elements, but also a lighter touch. Mm, I love a gimmick. I love a gimmick horror movie. And I love Megan for a similar reason. Like, it's yeah. it's silly, and you're right. I think, like, the Uncanny Valley is a really big part of why... Megan and Five Nights at Freddy's are are unsettling. Because, like, I, you know, I'm young. I grew up looking at YouTube, and I think I remember the things that scared me the most when I was consuming media as a teenager were these, like, uncanny valley, deeply unsettling videos. Mm. You know, the creepypasta era of, of content. And I think that translates well into the movies that we're seeing now sort of targeted to Gen Z viewers. Mm -hmm. You know, my theater for Five Nights at Freddy's was packed. I have never seen it packed like that for a horror movie on a Sunday night, but it was packed with children, like teenagers. (laughs) Viewing experience aside, because, you know, it was a little rowdy, but I I thought that was really cool because it's like... When are, you know, teenagers going out to the theaters in groups of six, seven to see a horror movie that, yeah, is targeted to them, that stems from something that is an iconography of their teenage years? You know, you have kids watching it on YouTube, you have kids playing the game, you have just like me, the general cultural osmosis of Five Nights at Freddy's that, you know, I received. It's cool, I I think, in like a weirdly like roundabout way. Like it's cool that people are going to see the Five Nights at Freddy's movie, you know? Well, and it's such a great reminder, frankly, that like each generation does and should get its own things. Mm, yeah. And so like seeing all of these efforts to resuscitate like the Exorcist franchise <laughs> and the Halloween yeah. franchise yeah. and, and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre getting like kind of right. re-upped again and kind of going through the motions of this same character over and over and over and over and over again. I think there is a hunger out there for new horror franchises and for this one to tap into this specific generation's characters, I think is a really welcome development. And I'll sit through 10 Five Nights at Freddy's movies before I'm going to want to watch another Exorcist movie. <laughs> just because I've, I've seen The Exorcist. I've seen many sequels to The Exorcist. Yeah. Even though I agree with you that this movie isn't, isn't what it could have been, mm-hmm. I do think there are raw materials there for a satisfying film franchise. And the fact that this movie is already on streaming, yeah. I do recommend this as a home streaming experience, especially if you're kind of looking for gateways into horror. If your kids are kind of horror curious, this is a nice way into that. I agree. I mean, I, I think that streaming was a really good move, especially to tailor it, yeah, to kids who often like can't get to the theaters on their own. You know, like I, I don't really know the the parent that would want to take their kids to see the Five Nights at Freddy's movie. If my daughter were twelve instead of nineteen, I would be taking her to Five that Nights person at is Freddy's. You. That For person sure. is that you. That person is me. But not every parent is you. Steven. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. <laughs> <laughs> but like, not every person like is you. You know, like I, I think like mm-hmm. streaming is a really good move, and I think you know originally I was like. 
the move to put the film on streaming and in theaters at the same time is stupid. I, I think like historically that is a stupid idea. Right. But I, I think in this case, it's a way to tailor the movie's marketing to its mm-hmm. audience. Well, and if you're trying to launch a film franchise, it really helps if you make it possible for people to see your movie. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> you want it to be big. And despite, I think, the Peacock streaming of it all, people are seeing it, you know, in theaters. It's mm-hmm. making a lot of money. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we want to know what you think about Five Nights at Freddy's. Find us at facebook.com slash PCHH. That brings us to the end of our show. Rihanna Cruz, thanks so much for being here. Happy to be here. Thank you. This episode was produced by Hafsa Fathima and edited by Mike Katzif. Our supervising producer is Jessica Reedy, and Hello Come In provides our theme music. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Stephen Thompson, and we will see you all tomorrow. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer? IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. One subscription gets you everything. One site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com NPR. It's a high-stakes election year, so it's not enough to just follow along. You need to understand what's happening so you are fully informed come November. Every weekday on the NPR Politics Podcast, our political reporters break down important stories and backstories from the campaign trail so you understand why it matters to you. Listen to the NPR Politics Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.